Good morning, church. How we all are? Good. My name is Dan Smith. Um, I find myself getting old and grumpy and fatter all the time. And but the joy of the Lord is my strength. It was fun to kind of be reminded of that this morning. The neat thing about what I get to do every day is, and I'll admit it, I'm retired, um, so nobody's telling me to go do this kind of stuff, but it's the joy of what I get to do. Um, I spent probably 50 hours this last week in an aluminum barn underneath a 40-foot sailboat applying paint. It was hot, but praise God, it was cooler. It was the coolest week in July in North Carolina history, right? Isn't it interesting that after eight years of planning, God chose that week to be the week we were ready to paint the boat, and it was a record cool week. Thank you, Jesus. So those are kind of fun things. I also had a young guy come by the, the, the docks at the university, part of my mission field. He tied up his boat, and we've been witnessing to this guy, one of my team members, for five, maybe six years now. And he asked if he could come and stay for a couple of weeks, and he's going to go to work on one of the boats. So I told him, sure. Um, he's an electrician. I need that guy. We've been praying for an electrician. This guy shows up, wants to stay for a few weeks. He's a friend of ours. And I said, okay. And I take him over to this, to this vessel. And I said, these batteries keep draining. And, you know, the boat batteries, they're like this big. And they cost about $600 each. And there's four of them on there. So it's an investment. And why is it draining? And it just got me baffled. I didn't major in electronics. So he goes through it. And I said, you know, I've been praying A for an electrician and B for these batteries. Yesterday I got this. I should have brought my phone up and just read it to you. And he goes, wow, your prayers are working. These batteries are back to 100%. And he goes, and they were dead as a doornail. I thought we were going to have to get some strong guy to come haul them off because they weigh about 90 pounds each. But anyways, prayer works Prayer works for people, and we've just been praying for, his name is Cameron, so pray for Cameron. He's a guy who does not love Jesus, just kind of lives on his sailboat and kind of moves in and out of the Bahamas and that kind of a thing. That's his retirement, but he doesn't really have a purpose. And this week, I heard somebody talk about purpose and how they don't have a purpose, and that same scripture came to mind. The joy of the Lord is my strength. God, if we seek Jesus, he'll give you the joy. Cameron has zero joy. I've worked with him a lot in the last couple of weeks. So that's kind of a nutshell of what I get to do. Maritime Ministries is a 30-year-old mission agency. We have now seven missionary teams in four different countries based in Elizabeth City at the campus of Mid-Atlantic Christian University. So if you're ever in Elizabeth City and you're going across our bridge or you're on the campus and you see sailboats or trawlers or whatever out there on the docks that's our home dock god gave us some money a few years ago and we invested it in that we don't own the land that's the colleges but we own the dock and that is reaching into the world our very first person to stop on the dock was from france that was pretty cool and we thought hey this this might actually work <laughs> god is drawing people and people come drawn in and they want to see and like cameron when he Hung out with a couple of my team members for years on end. They had boats next door to each other up in um, Annapolis. And my friend said, I have, and he's a lifetime missionary. He goes, this guy has just hardened. He just does not want to talk about it. But when he sent me a text yesterday, your prayers are working. 
That's the second prayer that's been answered in the last week that I've been here. Because I told him I was praying for an, for an electrician. And he said, well, I'm in the answer to that prayer, which was kind of cool. So pray for Cameron this week. Pray that God will keep chipping away at his heart. But it's also a good reason to talk about what I'm talking about today, which is why preach the gospel. And that's people like Cameron. It's people like somebody in your life. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. So the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Father God, please open our hearts and our, our minds to your word and to your truth and help us to apply to something in our own lives. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So way back in 698 BC, anybody remember this? Anybody? Our friend Isaiah was having a vision. You know, and all of Isaiah is recorded, and it's those prophecies. These are things that he saw, he heard, that God put on his heart. Okay? It was a tough job being a prophet. But this is an extremely important scripture, especially if you're Jewish. Now, I'm going to read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, Open the prison to those who are bound. Now, friends, if you were Jewish, let's say, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, all of you would have known this scripture. It is who you're looking for. Because we were an oppressed country. We were occupied by Roman legions. We did not really have our own government. We had kind of a puppet government that was under the thumb of the Romans. And we wanted freedom. We wanted to be Israel again. We wanted to be, you know, we're all proud Americans. We kind of get it, our flag and all that kind of stuff. They wanted to be the same thing. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to be free. But more and more, they wanted to be free in a secular sense and not free in a God sense. And I hope I can bring those two together by the time I'm finished today. So way back in 698, this is the foundation of what we, as good Jews, boys and girls, were looking for sometime around 32 AD. Or 30, yeah, that's the right one. And that's the point of what I wanted to talk about. Because you all knew about it, we were all looking forward to it. But now let's jump into the very beginning of Mark chapter 1. Now Jesus has started his ministry, right? He's moving around and he's getting known and he's kind of did this thing that maybe you heard about. Something to do with a wedding, some wine, supposedly a bunch of wine showed up. Not really sure how that happened, but these are the rumors that are all circulating. And Jesus is moving around, and our, his brother, or his cousin, has been arrested. And you know that part of the story. So this is where we're going to pick up in Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. Now, John was arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee, okay? It's like going to the next county over. And he was proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. So that's his message. And the people are going, okay, what's that about? Kingdom of heaven? Sounds kind of familiar. What's, this, what's, what's going on with this? We don't really understand what the kingdom of heaven is. That's not something that it's presence of mind, but I want to bring that up because it's, you find it all through scripture. Go, you could Google it or you could use a, an expensive Bible software, but you can just simply Google it. You'll see a bunch of places where it's used, places where it's referred to, 
hundreds of times, and all the places in the time. I mean, you, how many streaming shows that talk about the kingdom of heaven and they're, you know, I mean, I love those old battle movies and all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, set in Greek times and they're set in, uh, you know, early English times. They don't really jive with that, but they use, the, oh, the kingdom of heaven, that's our king. And, you know, it's, they don't use it correctly. The kingdom of heaven is real and it's current. So the next time Jesus is in the temple and he is reading and he wants to find, he's, he's reading scripture and he's gathered around and he's in the temple and they're talking. And as Jesus is talking about it, he's reciting some of old prophecies and stuff. And he's talking with the people and he's preaching what he just preached And then he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Because he's talking about the temple and the temple was built because he's in the temple. So you had a tabernacle like this is our local tabernacle, okay? And somewhere over in, we're going to compare it to our life, in D.C., our capital city, would be the tabernacle the or the temple where we would all someday go to worship or once a year maybe go to worship. So that'd be a parallel in our lives. But he's in the local, he's in the, in the temple. I'm sorry, I'll stop stuttering here. Um, and he's preaching this, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And again, us good boys, Jewish boys and girls would go, wait a minute, there's only one I am, and that is the I am that I am. It's God, the Son of God. And you're saying, you know Abraham? How is that possible? He said, yeah, I know Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. So he's asserting the authority of that I am living and breathing God, the Son of God. That's what he's saying. So the people are going, wait, what? And in their, you know, the Ten Commandments, and you can't have a God before me. So they're looking for stones. And this is what's kind of cool. I didn't put it on there, but in the next verse, it says Jesus disappeared from amongst them. This is one of those times where Jesus is just like, Y'all can't see me. It's kind of like a Darth Vader thing where he just goes, you can't see me, and he just walks right out. He's still there. He just walked out, but nobody saw him leave. They're like, who are we going to throw a rock at? You know, who are we going to stone? He was there, and he claims it. But it's one of those key times in Scripture where Jesus says, hey, I am the Son of God. I am, I am. He's using God's name for himself in the first person, which is a big no-no to the Jewish folks. You can't do that. And he's saying that, this is me. I've existed longer than Abraham. So you had a couple of places here where Jesus is building up in his message and what he's telling people. The next time Jesus goes to his hometown, it's a Saturday, okay, their Sunday morning, and he walks in, and now he's a guest because he's an adult and he's left, and now he's coming back. You know, maybe he had dinner with mom and his cousins and his brothers and, you know, that kind of a thing. But he walks into the temple, and now he's a guest. So the custom is we're going to give you a scripture to read. So somebody else grabs a scripture, brings in the scroll. He comes up to the front, much like I am, and he breaks open the scroll. And he says, this is the guy who said, I am, Right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound. And then he goes over to sit down. 
And as he's sitting down, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He sits down. Guys, that's powerful. It should give you God bumps because you have the guy, the man, the son of God who created the universe, who made that water into wine, who is starting to gather people around him, who's preaching the kingdom of God has come. And the people are thinking, we're going to get rid of the Romans. And then some of the other ones are going, no, he's calling us to something more. And that's the truth. He's calling the people, God's son is calling him back, calling us, calling the world back into relationship with God the creator, God the father, like we used to have back in the garden days. And that's what's exciting about it, because the people are hearing that, and they're seeing that, and they're trying to, you know, we're looking for a new Roman, a new non-Roman leader. And they're saying, no, there's a spiritual kingdom, a true peace that is possible for you. We see a next step of this. You know this. It's in Matthew 6. I'm going to flip over here so I can read the whole thing. Jesus teaches them to pray. And he says, I want you to learn to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you forgive the fa- neither will the Father forgive you your trespasses. But today I wanted to focus on these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So imagine with me, heaven is open, there's angels around me. We see, we see pictures of it in scripture and we really can't wrap our mind around, you know, you have God up on the throne, basically, as it's described, and you have these angels, you know, that are hanging around, and all day long, all they ever they say is, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, holy, holy, holy. It's just this cacophony, to my mind, of all this stuff, but it's, it's true and pure worship, and it's totally going on all this time, and in, when we cast off these bodies, it'll make a whole lot more sense. That's what I have to believe, because I look at that and go, how does he hear anything? How does he, I mean, but it's God. And you have all these things that are appointed to be going on in heaven, and it's straight worship. Well, we know that if it's God's will, it'll be done in heaven, right? I will. I mean, he created earth, right? And he created all these things, and he has a, a daily interaction in all of our lives. We can all see that. But it's God's will in heaven. So it's God's will in heaven as it is on earth. God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So our goal is to have God's will here on earth in this realm done like it is in heaven. That's what that means. That's what we're after. That's what's the magic, if you use my limited phrase, of what that means. It is the almighty God who was, who is, and who will always be is the king of the heavens. That's a spiritual realm, okay? But he's also the king of the physical realm. When he created this earth, he set into being the physical rules that run the earth. If I drop my little remote, it's going to hit the ground, right? 
It's not that magic, it doesn't hover. Gravity works, and all of those other things. We don't have to remember to breathe. God has created our bodies so that we breathe automatically, that we can speak and we can think and we have consciousness. These are amazing things that we're created in his image. It's part of the kingdom. It's really astounding when you think about it. But there's this thing that happened, if you flip back to the front of your Bibles, Genesis 3. That's where we kind of messed up. We revolted against perfection, against the kingdom of heaven, which existed on earth like it does in heaven. It existed on earth in Genesis because they were in the garden, and man revolted. So from that moment forward, we've been trying to replicate the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's the condition that we are. In a fallen state, we just innately know it'd be better than this. We innately know that heaven is going to be pretty amazing. And then we have all these problems. We got some aches. We got some pain. Right, sister? <laughs> we were just earlier complaining about my arthritic hand today. You know? It just happens. But in heaven, it won't be like that. And it's possible to realize that the heaven on earth is possible. Now, it's limited, and it's a process. And that's kind of what I want to talk about that you and I are living in the age of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And we're going to use this definition. I loved it when I found this. Some much smarter people than I put this together. But most simply stated, the kingdom of heaven exists wherever God reigns. And that wherever has no time limit, no location, and no realm. So the kingdom of heaven has always existed Clearly in heaven, we get that. But it also exists in the heart and the minds and the souls of this congregation and each of you collectively and individually. Because, well, you remember where it says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there with them also? Okay, so if two of us went over there, the Holy Spirit would be there. We know that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, so God's with us. Simple, right? So if God's with us, and then I hop in my little mini and I drive somewhere else. God's still with me because he's in me. It's just not two or three of us. It's just me. But I represent the Holy Spirit. I represent God. So my realm, God's realm, is following me wherever I go. That can be a little bit of a challenge. Because we don't really think about that all the time. Let's just be honest. I mean, it's like, I got to go to work tomorrow. Okay. So some of you may be farmers, some of you may be accountants, sounded like at least one in the room perhaps. Um, you know, you may, I worked, what, 30-something years in the grocery business? Actually, I'm wearing my Piggly Wiggly shirt. I used to be a VP for Piggly Wiggly, and my wife bought me this shirt to remember it by. Uh, Pig was good to me. I put a lot of kids through college and paid for weddings and stuff like that. Um, but there really wasn't the kingdom of heaven in my Piggly Wigglies. I tried to be a good boss. I tried to treat people fairly and to be, you know, above board and honest and all of those kinds of things. But I can't look at you and stand in front of you saying, I made every decision without some other things. There were some pretty dumb decisions I made and there were things that I tolerated and things I didn't know about. I mean, we had 1,200 employees. It was a lot to juggle. And I didn't do everything right have to there's no way I could and I didn't think about the Holy Spirit or I didn't walk in the Spirit every single moment of every single day just like any one of you 
at any time. But God convicted me a lot of that and made me realize that I was, could very well be the only Christian that these people really saw. And as a position of leadership, because it was my hand that signed their paychecks. You know what I mean? I approved all that. That was my job. Um, that was a, a place of influence. So I needed to be as Christ-like as I could in front of them every single time. So when we would have staff meetings or marketing meetings or all that stuff that you did going to work every day, how do I reflect Christ in this role that I have? How do I be Christ-like? How do I let the kingdom of heaven live in this business? And that, my friend, is a challenge. But it was quite the joy. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Every single one of us here, as Christ followers, as people who understand that when Jesus said, I am, he was. And that when he made a bunch of water into wine, the person who created water made wine. Personally, I believe that was probably the best wine that was ever made because the guy who invented everything said, this is the way it should be done. And he made it. And the rest of the world's going like, hey, this is pretty good. Well, of course, the guy who invented your taste buds made that. So he knows what he's doing. So when he says, I want you to follow me, I want you to lean into me, I want you to know me, he, Jesus, is seeking a personal, in-depth, one-to-one relationship with every one of us. And most of the time, we go too fast and don't pay attention. First in line in that, I can point... Kath and I pointed to some years in our lives we call the wasted years, where we were too busy climbing the corporate ladder, raising three little kids and moving across the country a couple of times to really lean into our faith like we should. And God kind of smacked us on the head. I can point to some days that were really tough, that they were just results of my own rebellion. It's what it was. It's what it is. You're in some stage of rebelling, rebellion in the recent past or in the recent future because we all do it all the time just happens but when we lean into that relationship with jesus spend some time in the word spend some time in prayer talk to one another go to small group do those kinds of things because in that community which is what god's called us to be this little church and those little small groups wherever it is that you're hanging out together or wherever you have accountability with somebody else that's where jesus will lean into it and you know what? It makes people like Cameron go, I don't know, but I'm going to keep coming back and hanging out with these people. There's just something there. I, Cameron doesn't know that that's what's going on. Because the Holy Spirit, I'm not around Cameron today. I'll be around him tomorrow. Holy Spirit's knocking on his head right now. Um, when you're in business, you talk about having advantages, you know. We market this and we sell that and we think that, the, and I heard a guy go, well, we have, we have a corporate advantage because we invented whatever. And I remember that speech because I was learning from us trying to imply, apply that to our business. <laughs> and it occurred to me, you know what? The Holy Spirit has, is our, as Christians, the Holy Spirit is our unfair corporate advantage. Because we got seven days in a week, we get tired, we go to sleep at night, and he never stops working 24-7, 365, and then some. Because he's in every place and every part of the world, all over the world, whether you're there or not. A few years ago, um, I really loved missions, and I, was, I took a week off to go on a mission trip. And I thought that was pretty fun, so I did it again, and then I did it again, and then 
I left Piggly Wiggly. I started my own business with a with another guy, and God just opened all kinds of doors. We ran that business to make money to put food on the shelves, and put take care of the kids, but mostly so we could go on the next mission trip. I mean, it was totally no. I got this one. I'm going to wherever, and we went all over the world. We just we were in a neat church that. There were many opportunities, and we were just like designated team leaders. And so we went all over the world doing mission trips, doing all kinds of stuff. I did several of them. Um, my kids tease me. Whenever there's an earthquake, a tsunami, you know, a plague, like, Dad, when are you leaving? There's, you know, these people died. You better go. And because uh, I did a lot of those. Uh, it was during an earthquake in um, or just after an earthquake in Turkey in 1999. In this little town, 63,000 people died in 24 hours. Most of them died in the same 10 minutes. It was an earthquake. They lived on the water. The earthquake fault was in the middle of their little bay that they lived on. So the earth went like this, 60 feet. It dropped 60 feet. So whatever 60 feet of water made its own little miniature tsunami, and it just wiped out a mile this way and wiped out a mile this way as the water went back and forth. And I spoke to a man, now I, was, I had a translator, so he's speaking, the gentleman is telling me this story in Turkish, and Yuxel is translating it. And he, I go, and he goes, I was on my balcony smoking, it was three o'clock in the morning, I just got home, I worked, at, my family owned a restaurant, I just got done, closed everything up, and got home, got on the balcony and kind of went, oh, you know, having a moment before I went to bed pretty human thing to do and he goes then the world fell apart the waves came and knocked me off my balcony because my he had a waterfront home and he goes come with me and we walked blocks inland and he shows me this lamppost and he goes, that lamppost is what I held on to and the water receded and I climbed down the lamppost and I used to live five blocks from the water and I walked the two blocks to the water and to this day all of those houses are just gone. They're under the water still. It was really weird because there were light posts that just dropped straight down, and at night they would come on under the water. That was creepy. And he goes, everybody I know died. Okay? So how do you console someone? How do you do anything? You know? Now, there isn't much. But the people who I was with, they said, we got to do something for this community. So we, we, you know, we were doing, we were building houses and doing stuff like that, that you would do. But one of the guys who I was with said, I feel that God's going to plant a church on this property that we're building these houses on. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, we're Turkey. You know how hard it is to plant the gospel here? And there's a missionary who's been in this town for like 25 years. And he was scolding me because, you know, we were here to you know, build houses for people and be Jesus to people. And then you're going to go away and I got to deal with all of the stuff you leave behind. That's what he told me, you know. But about six months later, the guy who managed these homes that we were building, you know, like the guy who would go and, and you know, fix stuff and, you know, it was like the, the maintenance guy, he came to faith. And a little church was planted in his house. It's the same lot that we were standing on when he said, when my friend said, God's going to plant a church in this place. So, me of little faith, God opens doors, and he draws people to him all the time. And friends, when you go to work this week, you are going to be the only Jesus that many people see, the only Jesus that many people know, because 
whatever your name is. You know, hi, my name is Dan, my little name tag. They're watching. They know. And if they don't know, shame on you. Because how, does, how do we share our faith? You know, pray a little before breakfast or pray a little before lunch that they see that. Ask your friends, your, co- your co-workers. For a number of years, I had a cubicle job. Worst job in the world. I hated living in a cubicle and live, working in it. But I learned that I could talk to my neighbors and go, you know, what's going on? And, and nobody would ever, like, stand up because that would, you know, get, our boss was kind of a Nazi. So we all just kind of hid in our little cubicles and talked over the walls. Okay? I don't know if you're in that kind of environment. But I, there was a guy who was going through a really rough spot, and I let him just talk. You know, and so we're all here in the rough spot that he was going through. And, you know, I just stopped one time and just started praying for him in my cubicle, head down. Nobody else knew I was praying. They just heard voices. He knew I was praying for him. Um, You know, I got to share my faith a little bit with him. You know, he was just a guy, it turns out he had walked away from the church. He had walked away from his faith. He just didn't believe it anymore. I don't have it, you know. Then the heavens opened up and he became a missionary. I don't know. You know, I wasn't there all that much longer past that time. But I know that I can tell the Lord I did those things. I did what I think I was supposed to do at that moment. I'm sure I didn't do other things I was supposed to do at that moment. But that's always been to me a lesson moment that I need to encourage other Christians. Because if somebody isn't up here sniping at you going, what are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing for the kingdom? Then somebody needs to. That's the accountability we miss a lot. But as as Christ followers that are trying to live into the kingdom of heaven here on earth where Jesus is Lord and there is no realm, there's no time limit, there's no space limit, and the kingdom of heaven will progress as until the end of time, until God says, okay, news, weather, and sports, that's a wrap. Let's all go to heaven. You know, however that's going to happen. Then that moment, then the kingdom of heaven will be fully realized. But in the meantime, it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's that practical side of it? What is it that, you know, you're going to do? Some of us are white-haired and retired. I don't have a job to go to. Well, you know, I still kind of do, but I put myself into that. Or God let me do it. But, you know, you still interact with people all the time. And you have time on your hands. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to share? Some of, the, some of the missionaries that I have that come to work for us, they're retired. And they're going to go, you know, I've had this dream. I'm going to buy a boat and I'm going to go sailing. Sounds really great. What, what, what owning a boat and traveling by water means, fixing a boat in different places pretty much every week at thousands of dollars a stop. So there's that. Um, but it also means that you're in the middle of other people that are living their life's dream. Guess what? They're still there, so it's pretty sucky. So many people I've seen are so angry that they're in this retirement phase and it's not everything they thought it would be. Their expectations are here and reality is down here. Case in point, I walked up to the university dock. It was late afternoon. It's a beautiful sunset. You know how the water goes down on the, the light goes down and it's all kind of golden and yellow and the river was just dead calm and it was cool. So it couldn't have been July, right? And this woman has this gorgeous yacht. And I know for a fact that she has a yacht captain. He and I talked about captain's licenses and stuff like that together. So he was kind of her yacht driver. She's all alone and she has one of these giant beanbag chairs and she's just kind of lounging with a big glass of red wine and it was just like, 
I walked down the dock and said, girl, you're like every person's dream right now. I mean, this is like really cool. And she's crying. I should have looked before I said anything, but she's just sobbing away. She goes, I have all this and my life is so empty. So what do you do? I wasn't invited, but I climbed up on the boat. And I just said, your life is empty. She goes, yeah, I worked for years to have all this stuff and I have no one to share it with. And I don't remember exactly the tragedy, but there was like, let's say a school shooting or something like that. And there were, so we talked around that. So there was an opportunity to say, you know, all of this is in God's hands. Well, then she went, well, why is God allowing all this to happen? So now you have to have an opportunity to talk about free will and what that means. So we had a very interesting conversation. It wasn't real long. Fortunately, I learned to every now and then be quiet, Dan, and go away. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does. But that's the opportunity we get to have sometimes. It's just hoe a little bit of dirt, maybe sprinkle a seed. More times than not, we're just hoeing a little bit of dirt, putting a little bit of water on a spiritual seed that God has planted, somebody else has done, somebody else will harvest as that person realizes that relationship and their, their future and their past and choices that they've made. And being willing to just have conversations with people, because we all think missionaries, you got to have your pith helmet, you got to fly in an airplane, you got to live in a mud hut, and that's that's missions, right? Um, we we do have a project on uh, on the Amazon River. So if you go from Brazil all the way through Brazil, when you get to Peru, hang left, and it's the third church on the right. It's crazy to me that from Elizabeth City, we're helping this little one church who was planted by one of my team members years ago. He's, he's as old as I am. When he was in his 30s, he lived on a riverboat, and he and his wife planted churches in the Amazon. To me, that's like super adventure, okay? Well, one of his little churches is replicating itself and is planting another, has planted another church in this community, and that community says, we don't know that we want a church, but we need a community center. So, hey, guess what? We're building a community center, you know? And other people in our world found out about it, people that supported Jim and Stacy when they were missionaries in the riverboat phase of their life. And they went, how do we help? So we've, I I think maybe we've thrown $5,000 at it. So in a year and a half, $5,000 has come. And every so many days, I get a word from one of the, from this missionary. says, Dan, it's time to send some money down for this particular need because we don't want that congregation dependent on the fat Americans taking care of everything. But guys, I got to tell you, you send $500 through Western Union and this guy goes and he gets it and they bought chainsaw blades and gas. Okay. I don't know what a chainsaw blade, I, I know it costs at A's or Lowe's or whatever. But they bought gas, and they sent me this picture, you know. And so there's all these people, and they're all holding these chainsaws and gas, and they're like, yay! And, you know, a couple of sandwiches. And they go off into the jungle, and they cut down trees. That's how they're getting the wood for the community center. And then it's flood, so they cut down these trees, and then they mark them, and then the rains came, and then they go and they get their boats, and they float them to the, to the lot that the city, that the city, that's a huge wrong word, that this little village probably a crossway of three paths okay over there is where the community center is going to be so they'll they've another picture comes and it's these guys in long boats and poles you know 
it's we've all seen movies it's just that and they're pushing these logs into there and then the river goes down all the logs are in place but it takes months because you're doing it around the cycles of rain so they build a, a platform on stilts and put some you know like rails on it and the school moves in and then a, a church group comes unbeknownst to all of us some god bless these little baptist church they came down there and they put in a well and they went oh well, that's our community center, but this church over here is building and they went, church, wait, let's go talk to them. So they go and talk and they say, oh, family members, we're gonna put in the well. So now we have a community well next to the church. And one of the guys who was there putting in the well said, you need a roof, what's the plan for the roof? And the people are saying, well, we're gonna save up and put in a roof. And so he sends us the money, we put the money down and he goes back down there with another group of his church and they put the roof on the place. So now it's an active church, and there's people, and you get these just wonderful brothers, pictures of brothers and sisters that, you know, Spanish speakers, I could probably have a four-second conversation with them, but they're, they're so excited that they're, they've got relatives that care and send a little money every now and then, but it's, they're an independent church worshiping, serving their community, letting the school happen. The, the community leaders have... Um, you know, meetings in there. It is truly the community center, but it's God's house. Isn't that kind of cool? From a little bitty Elizabeth City, this stuff is kind of happening. There's another one of our team members that he uh, he's a retired. Well, he's a retired. You know, this, we've all watched CSI, right? So the people in the goggles that are doing all the the experiment, all the experiments, are using chemicals and all that stuff. Come out with the. This is what happened. That's what he spent his whole life doing. Run labs for governments and he used to work in Jacksonville and then he worked in Germany and now he retired to Jacksonville but when he was a police officer he knew that police officers never wanted to go talk to the psychologist so today he and the and the chaplains in the fire police and uh, fire police EMS and uh, sheriff's office all work together and they have three licensed psychiatrist psychologists that work with them and they all go to three different churches they all see each other on sundays they all plan they strategize so what they do is they find out that you know this fireman or this ems person had a tragedy they saw you know a terrible thing or they experienced it or somebody was shot or all those things that we want people to go get mental health for so and they don't want to go because it's a stigma why don't you go sailing with me you know, me and Bob will go sailing, it'll be a great time, we'll bring lunch, and they're like, well, I'm supposed to go to the psychology thing. I said, don't worry about that, we'll get that taken care of, I know you're captain. Well, captain knows what's going on, and oh, by the way, this is Bob. I'm not going to tell you that Bob's a licensed clinical psychologist, and he's the one you were going to go see anyways. You just happen to have a change in venue, shall we say. So he's actively working with all these firemen, all these policemen, all these EMS workers that see some really terrible things. My son's a, is a paramedic and was in Charlotte. He's moved to a different town now. He moved because dad, he calls me and says, dad, this kid, I just was at my 11th child murder because somebody did a drive-by sh shooting and I was the responding paramedic. And he just goes, I can't do this anymore. I don't know, I just can't deal with it. You know, so we were like, Jeff, let's go talk to the guy. Let's, let's make sure we get some counseling. So he changed towns and stuff, so maybe he doesn't have to see another one of those for a while, but he knows he will again. There's a terrible blight on our, on our world. It's just sin, you know? But people are being salt and light because it's what called, God 
called us to do. And it's the kingdom of heaven is alive and is well and is here. And it's influencing the culture. And it's because God's people are doing things to impact that. So what are my challenges to you guys? Whether you go back to the real estate office or you're teaching school. Last church I was in, the place was filled with ship workers because it was in Portsmouth. It's like everybody there was, you know, they, we build ships. I don't think there's too much shipbuilding in this community, but there's probably some farming, you know, but y'all are doing something. You're around somebody who needs Jesus. And not many of us will become street preachers. I hope I'm never called to do that. But it's, it, it works, you know. But that standing and shouting the gospel over a crosswalk probably wouldn't work real well in Wilson, right? But sit there and praying at, you know, Bojangles when you're having your next biscuit and being nice to the person who is taking your order and tipping a little bit more, not because it's just being nice, it's because you're just being a good steward and you're like, oh, I remember that guy. He was talking, you can build relationship with people. They go, oh yeah, I remember Dan. He comes in and he tips okay. You know, but they might talk to me. And if I, they'll talk to me a little bit, maybe I can have a conversation. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just chipping away at that guy or, excuse me, gal's heart. And it'll be an entree to let me share what Jesus is doing in my life. Let me share what God's word. Let me share any of those things are possible, and all of us have those opportunities. And that, my friends, is where the kingdom of heaven, because where the gospel is preached and people are reconciled to God. We talked about those big words, brother, where are you at? That was awesome. And minds or hearts are renewed. As we walk with Christ, and we, you know, Paul's talking about the renewing of your minds. The renewing of our minds is because we're sinful. Like I told you in my wasted years, we're sinful. But when we put our minds and our hearts into scripture and we start to change those patterns, that's what's up about. Communities are impact. Wouldn't it be great if every Christian in this town, because we're in the Bible Belt, friends, if every single Christian in this community lived in a Christ-like lifestyle, your community would be changed and hope would be common. Because if you watch Fox News this afternoon, somebody's gonna say, we just need hope in our communities. They all know that's what's missing. Well, Jesus is hope, friends, and the nations can be healed because it's possible for nations to be healed. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. If you're like me, sometimes we're like, hey, I can't do anything about that. Jesus is coming. The world's at end. Next, I'm going to go sit on the rooftop because, you know, I'll be closer that way. That's the way a lot of Christians think, seriously think. But it's our job to preach the gospel so that nations can be healed because nations are healed when people are healed one by one. That's what I wanted to tell you about. Friends, the gospel is so real. It changes your life. And somehow, myself included, we just don't want to share that. I don't know why. We're afraid to offend somebody. We're afraid to tell the truth. Because, you know, they might not think well of me. Sorry. Jesus loves you. He's died on the cross for you. We need to share what God's done, his great grace. And I'm as guilty as the next person of not sharing it. And I'm a paid missionary. Come on. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for an opportunity to think about the kingdom of heaven and how it's here and it's real and it's continuing and it's always where your heart is. Lord, let our heart be your heart.
Father, bring with this moment an opportunity to share and to be real to somebody else this week. In Christ Jesus' precious name, amen.